Okay, David in his finest form in these chapters tonight. He's going to subdue his enemies and bring about peace. He's going to subdue his enemies from the north, south, and the east, and the west, and going to bring a time that uh, Israel hasn't really known before. And uh, so it took David to do that. Actually, it took the power of God that worked through David to accomplish God's will. That was God's will for that to happen, so he used David. That's chapter 8 and chapter 10. We see the victories. And then in chapter 9 is... um, the chapter about Mephibosheth. You have quite a contrast there. You take 8 and 10 and then contrast it with 9, you see the sovereignty of God, sovereignty of David, and you get that in proper perspective then with the, um, the Mephibosheth, mercy uh, story, mercy and grace that, that he gives. So, anyway... As we get ready to start this, there's some background facts that really help us. Number one, the people in the places we're about to discuss here actually surround the nation of Israel. They're all right there. And uh, so, and they make an impact on Israel's past, present, and future, of course. Secondly, these are people and um, places that occupy the territory that God gave to Israel. Third, these are not international superpowers, but they're really small kingdoms or city-states, more or less. Fourthly, it's a time of relative peace for the most part. And fifthly, David is acting on the basis of the promise that was given in chapter 7. That's one of the key chapters in all of 2 Samuel. It's the covenant, Davidic covenant. God makes with David and he tells him uh, how he's going to bless him and then, of course, coming from the line of David. Uh, There will be a descendant, of course, Solomon, but that's the very near future that will come into play, but it's pointing ultimately to the house that will be the king of it will be the Messiah. And so that is what chapter 7 was about as we uh, moved into here, and so David is going to uh, start claiming those promises right away, because God told him that he's going to make him a great name, and uh, that uh, they would have their own place, Israel would where they don't have nations constantly uh, making them slaves. So that's where we're at as we move into chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, great God, You uh, are in charge of uh, the whole plans. And You are sovereign and You gave the kingship to David to be sovereign. And that's why He subdues all the enemies that are around. And it was all your plan that David would be the chosen one to do that. And that he did. And so tonight we look at a highlight of David's life as he has a lot of highs and lows and uh, deep depressions as he goes throughout his life. But we look at this tonight and it's kind of like a mountaintop view. And uh, Lord... That is kind of like the way that our own lives are as we have our ups and downs and our battles, our struggles, and then we have our peace. 
We um, thank you, Lord, for this David who is a great picture ultimately of the great king, the only true king, the Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the victories over these surrounding countries. And like I say, north, south, east, west. He's going to take care of all of them. Verse 1 is one group of people called the Philistines. Remember them? David has dealt with them before. Verse 1 it says, After this came about that David defeated the Philistines, subdued them, David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. Number 1, he has victory over the Philistines. And this is probably your most troublesome neighbor of them all. Philistines all the way through. Um, they thought it would be best to attack David whenever he became king. And uh, so they tried to strike first. That didn't work, did it? And now David is going to su- subdue them. And uh, it says here that uh, the chief city is involved. When First Chronicles 18.1, that happens to be the city of Gath. Remember Gath? <laughs> Good. Remember that? I was going to have you guess it. G. Gath. David went to Gath, and uh, of course he went, you know, he acted like he's a crazy man there. Later on, uh, that, beca- you know, that is the place where he goes to the, the king of that, uh, of that area, of that city, and um, he gives him refuge. Matter of fact, the king even gives him a city after that. David knows Gath really well. And uh, that kind of helps to get that victory, doesn't it? As um, as he goes to Gath, uh, as he knows it, like the back of his hand, uh, David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. Are you saying that the chief city is Gath? Yeah. They have five major cities and they would gather together, but the chief of them all, I think it's in First Chronicles 18.1, it actually says Gath in a correlating uh story there of this. King James says David took Mephagamoth M-E-T-H-E-G-A-M-M-A-H And that's in your first chronicles? No, that's in A Oh, okay. Alright, okay. Here it said chief city in my version. The chief city of the, from the hand of the Philistines. In Chronicles 18.1, it says, After this it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. Well, this, my notes down here said, Methagamon is otherwise unknown. Perhaps it refers to a type of land. After the time of David, there are no references to battles with the Philistines until the time. So it'd probably be in that area, maybe, is what it means. It's a difficult term to understand, but all all around there, Chronicles does say Gath. You should probably have that in your in your Chronicles 18. And in the right? Encyclopedic Index, it says probably a figurative name for Gath. <laughs> It'd be like when you take the main city of a country, uh, I mean, somebody comes and takes Washington, D.C. Ooh, well, <laughs> that's not a good... Hmm. 
the swamp, you know. But I mean, what would that mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> New York City. Uh, well, uh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for the Philistines. Let's move on. Uh, that's that's a pretty big deal right there. It gives us one verse, and boom, he hits on and, and uh, Avel. Take verse two for us there. This is the Moabites now. Okay. I got the King James version, so. Oh, no. And he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured, he to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. And so the Moabites became David's servant and brought gifts. All right, it's the Moabites. The Moabites became servants. He defeated them. Uh, the Moabites appear to have been on friendly terms. That's what's really strange here. They've been, if you go back to the time of Ruth, <coughs> David is a descendant of Ruth. Ah, interesting. And it, you know, we've already seen in Samuel that David hid out at the cave of Adullam, and then his family came there because of Saul. And David went and hid his family in the place uh, where the king of uh, the Moabites was. So they had pretty good relations going on. And so something drastically bad, went, something went terribly wrong. Somehow, we don't, it's not said here. So uh, David defeats them. And you know, it really seems really strange here. He measures two lines to put to death, and then a third line he keeps alive. So two-thirds of them he kills, and one-third he keeps alive. Now that's kind of interesting that David would do that. Somebody would say, well, why didn't he kill them all? Because Saul was supposed to. Saul got on all sorts of trouble with God about not killing them all, right? Well, for one thing, that was the Amalekites. These are the Moabites, and there are really actually friendly terms that was really kind of going on here. But God did have a long-standing problem with the Amalekites, and of course He gave direct <coughs> um, command to Saul to kill every one of them. And the uh, what? Not only the women, the children, the men, the animals, everything, right? He did not do that. David didn't have an order like that, or was it necessary to, that all the Moabites be killed? But one thing that he has to do is that he, he's, he's got to wipe out enemies, but he leaves a third of them. And I think here it shows that he shows mercy to these people who at one time had been on friendly terms, but they turned against uh, David and Israel. David is God's representative here, but the Moabites became the enemies of Israel. And actually, all of them deserved to die. David doesn't kill them all. He does leave a third of them. And the wonder is not that the two-thirds of the Moabites are killed, but that one-third are even left. You know, that even they would have <clears throat> some of them still living. So... Um, there's no way that they're going to try to resist David after he defeats them. Defeats them all anyway. A third of them is now not going to try to take them on, are they? 
they are a warring nation, quite the warriors Israel is, and with the great leader David, and it's all under the hands of God. So no way they're going to touch them anymore. So that's what you want to do. You want to get it to where you subdue everybody. That's what David does. So now you have who? The Philistines, the Moabites. Boy, he's wiping them down here. I mean, these guys aren't going to cause any more trouble. Um, we, we have another group of people. And it goes through about verse 12. It's You have a guy by the name of Hadadezer. And he is the king of Zoab. Or, or Zoba. I said Zoab, but that's Zoba. And... David actually defeats him. Hadadezer is the king. And probably what the deal was was going on. David is doing his battle in the south. Hadadezer apparently suffered some losses up there in the northern parts. And now David attacks on his neighbors to the south is a great opportunity for Hadadezer to turn his attention to the north. So he's wiping out, trying to wipe out well, by people out up north. David seems to recognize this, and and while Hadadezer has all this military force and seems to be doing good, they're up in the north. David comes in on the southern part of Hadadezer's little kingdom and wipes that out and takes that. Hadadezer comes back there and he sees that David is in control of his kingdom as he comes back there. Well, the Syrians see this, and the Syrians line up and they want to help out Hadadezer to defeat uh, David, which is their enemy. So they come to the aid of Hadadezer. Well, they result in being defeated also. Um, they're defeated as well, as it says in verse 5 and 6. The Arameans there, you, you know, that you've got the Arameans of Damascus, Damascus, Syria. Arameans are the Syrians. So there you are, you're, you're dealing with this. So the Syrians or the Arameans, which are the same people, are beat there. And as if that's not enough, we'll see them pop up again. Now, the kingdom of Hamath is to the north of Zobah, going up further. And you have Toy, T-O-I, that name will pop up there and throughout that little section there. He's the king of Hamath. And he sees the handwriting on the wall. He's not going to be able to take on David and the Israelites. No chance. So he comes up there and surrenders. He sends a delegation to David and it led by his own, led by his son Joram. Anyway, and there's a substantial payment of tribute to David. As a result of this, no battle with them. Um, Toy, the king of Hamath, he, he um, is delighted that David has defeated Hadadezer because that was an enemy of him. He had gone to war with Hadadezer. And now he becomes an ally, in a sense, with David. And so they share in victory. Are they saying he had went to war with him or like warred with him? He warred they, against, they warred against each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What I find interesting is that a lot of the people who David defeats, like the Moabites, they bring him gifts. Um, it says that the Syrians of Damascus came uh, to try to aid, but they lost. And then uh, they became servants of David. The Syrians became servants of David and brought 
years. So like, what, he defeats a majority of their armies and then the people left in the cities are like, hey, we better go and give, give them what we got. Right, and they become like servants. So he's defeated these people. So in my mind, when you're talking about him and his people that are fighting all these people, it definitely wasn't as big as it is. Because, I mean, when they're talking about 20,000 and 100,000 chariots, mm -hmm. I'm trying to picture that. Mind. How many men must you have had? <coughs> yeah, they've got, they've got quite the army. They sure do, and they've got great leadership. And God is what's that? He's got more than four thousand now. Yeah, yeah, he's picked up some really. You're talking about killing eighteen thousand people, and you know. Yeah, but he only needed a rock to take down. Yeah, but you know. and so what you're saying is that as he as they battle these people, they're not superpowers. They're not Babylon. They're not uh, the Assyrians or the Egyptians. They're just little city-states that caused havoc all that time during the time of Judges and Samuel. You don't want to see like Columbia going to war with Jeff and then St. Louis and Kansas City being like maybe the Syrians. <laughs> okay, so... David. So, so yeah. then it says that David's leaving these garrisons all over the place. Exactly. Good point. That would be where, hey, we are putting our own forces there. United States has done that when right, we've right. won in wars, and then we put some forces there, a little so bit of military people, show. How and, many people is in the garrison? Uh, I I don't really know whether they had a certain yeah. amount. Is that right? It's a certain amount. It's five hundred right, right. or one hundred. But it's it's keeping peace there, and and nobody's going to. Uh, Try to rot Israel anymore, which has been happening for right. hundreds of years, and so he sets up shop there, and it's like saying, well, "Don't I mean, even mess with us." David is yeah. just going around reclaiming, territory that was promised to him. Which was, and chapter so, seven, then God reiterates that to David in the promise that this is going to be the land for Israel. And that's why they were this is the promised land. Yeah. The people who your fathers didn't listen to, now they've invaded right. the territory, they've polluted it with their idols. I want their idols gone. I want them out of the land. And your fathers have failed to do what I have told them to do, and you will succeed because that's why that So God did it. He had a plan long before the foundations of the world. And here comes David, and that's his man that he's going to use. So David is there. Uh, well, actually, this is all during the time of um, from from the time that he had been thirty. And of course, he had the the five years, and then later took over the whole nation of Israel. So it's it extends out through his rule. And as time went on, you know, they they conquered these people. They didn't do it all at once. So it's extended throughout. He he was a warrior. All that time, and so and he was a king for, uh, but was it forty years, right? Yeah, right. So, so by the time, like roughly about the time where he was like no longer king, he was at least eighties or plus, right? Because he was thirty when he became king. He was king for forty years, plus all the 
extra ins and outs of like more, or does it come? Couldn't you say 30 plus 40? Yeah, I would, because we don't know the time of what he was doing, a lot of this right. was occurring in that time. It's a, sometimes it's a, it's a go back to explain right. what is it is it saying like because you know he was he was king of half of Israel because he had like what the two tribes and there was the rest of the ten or did he have the ten first? Well, he had he had the two. Well, actually, Judah, and then it was the rest of the nation really was underneath. They yeah they really weren't under David yet, and then of course five years later I think, then it was two years. I guess he ruled, so it's like seven years, so I guess, until he finally like took over. David was king over Israel after he was king over all Israel, or he was king over Israel when he first became inaugurated as king just in Judah? In Judah. And then later, king over all of Israel. Matter of fact, I think we probably dealt with that in, uh, was that chapter 6? Of course, the ark was brought to Jerusalem, and that that's what took place. So, yeah. So, oh, we got to hit on, um, in that section, verse 13, and you got to remember chapter 7 because God had already told him, you know, that he was going to have a great name. And so this is all what God did for him. David reigned over all... Uh, no, no, no. 13. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans. A name for himself, but really it's a name that God has, you know, honored and God is doing all this. But he's using David and God in, in uh, chapter 7 told him that um, I'll give you a name a great name in verse nine. I've been with you all your uh, wherever you've gone, and cut off all your enemies before you, and I'll make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. Being such a conqueror that he is as the king, right? That is quite the name that he has. Aram was the one that would have been named after him, and the Arameans, or yeah. So I just find it interesting that they spoke Aramaic. And that was, you know, been in that area. You're talking the Syrians, and definitely Middle East there. In verse 13, you'll see Arameans, and this is kind of interesting here, and it's a little bit uh, tricky. it says he killed 18,000 Arameans or Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom he put garrisons and all the Edomites became servants to David and the Lord helped David wherever he went. To be real honest with you, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. That's why it sounds tricky and that's probably the right translation. 
In the Hebrew, those there are two words there that are very, very close, and there's one difference in the letter, and so how one translated that in the, in the writings, it can be very tricky, but it's probably not the Syrians. It's probably verse 13 and 14 is dealing with the Edomites because we know that he the Syrians took off. You know, that, I mean, yeah, they already defeated them. Uh, but there they do pop up in that one, but it's it's I guess you could say it's debated, but probably not too much. It, I think most will say that that is uh, the Edomites. The what we're trying to stress here is that he's defeated he's defeated everybody north, south, east, west, all the all the countries, and he subjected all the nations that surrounded. They never had that before. Solomon will rule during a time of. Absolute peace, shalom, Solomon, that's the name. And it's a great picture of the kingdom that is to come, Christ coming back, David being the king of all kings except for Christ, right? And so this is a picture of what will come one of these days when all the enemies are defeated and there will be peace. But that will be the everlasting covenant that will go on through. This just happened for a little while. And then after Solomon, everything just busted through and then you again have the ten tribes up north and the two tribes of uh, Judah and Benjamin. Say something about Solomon's reign after he dies. There was a time of peace, but when Solomon dies, you know, the people ask, are you going to work us as hard as Solomon did? And he was like, twice as hard, and they're like, alright, kill him. <laughs> 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 like, there was peace, but man, these people seemed like they were glad that he was gone. <laughs> well, they had uh, quite... Uh, they had big dreams. Yeah. They didn't care who he was. Yeah, they had the gardens, and I mean, this place was just absolutely beautiful, you know. They uh, they, they were uh, they were very busy. No labor. They built a huge temple. Oh yeah, and uh, the, all the the horses, you know, that palace—it's just incredible. Yeah, so yeah, they worked. Question: Because when uh, Solomon got that woodworker, and that woodworker hired his man afterwards, Solomon pays him with some land, and the man looks at the land and is like, "What is this that you've given me?" I don't know. It seems like he's like shocked. As if, like, he Solomon just gave him trash. You know, we're in Sandy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm not jumping ahead. <laughs> I'm jumping to a whole other section. We gotta keep you in line. About. <laughs> okay. Right. All right, here we go. Here we go. Verse 15 David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. That doesn't happen very much. This is a great king. He is a great man that God has used, and he does justice, righteousness. Who's that remind you of, right? Messiah. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahildud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah were sec- uh, was secretary. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was over the uh, Cherethites and the Pelethites and David's sons were chief ministers. What you have here is an administration. And he added administrative personnel. And they have garrisons all over the place. 
they are like what you would think would be a nation representing God. And they sure are. This is what God has in mind. And it's just a picture, though, of what it really is going to be like. Justice, righteousness, David's name is great. God promised all this in chapter 7, verse 9 in that covenant. Quantities of silver and gold and bronze has been gathered up. There's a treasury, and at least some of that's going to be used to build as and materials for the temple. So David had a lot to do with this, even though he himself is not part of building the temple. He's getting it set up, and David is blessed by God to be able to do that. So, would you say this is a high watermark for David? Okay, I cut and I stop at 8, and then I'm going to skip and go to 10 because it's more battles. After you get through with this, you're basically seeing that his enemies are totally subdued. Here you have Ammon and Aram that are defeated. Um, in, uh, in chapter 10, the Ammonites are going to hire the Arameans or the Syrians to fight Israel. They said, remember, you know, Syria has already been involved, you know, and they just hightailed it, you know, and got out of there. But um, they do something here that is incredible to David. And what happens, Hanan, Hanan is the name that is thrust out before us here. Okay? And David sends a delegation of his own people to Ammon to give respect for the death of his father, who was king before, to mourn the the death. And uh, the advisors that this king has here, Hanan is the son, right, of Nahash. Nahash is the king that David would have been honoring here. And they probably became good friends in the sense are friendly when David was on the run from Saul and uh, of course I don't think he had the best relations here of um, the the King Nahash. Um, So David has kindness here that he wants to show to this Ammonite king and he's a new king. He's the son and he's not the same kind of man. He's an idiot. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. He doesn't want to have that same kind of relationship that his dad, the king, had with David. And so that relationship is going to get destroyed. It's interesting. Even the countries that David has had good relations with, they're all pretty well being going kaput too, right? Although the other, there was that other uh, group of people that came to him and said, hey, we give up. We'll be glad to help you and serve you whatever you want. You know, and they made you know, good relations with them. Well, here's David trying to do that. All he wanted to do was send uh, some, some of his men there to show that they were mourning you know, his father's death that we, we want to have honorable relations with you too. I mean, it's a good thing to do, isn't it? 
you have neighbors on your side there. Well, the the counselors that would be like advisors, they come to the king, and I'm sure they're saying, you know, David's up to no good. He's sending spies here, and they're going to obtain intelligence, and then he's going to attack us just like he's attacked everybody else. David doesn't have that in mind whatsoever. It's all good intentions to honor this king. So, And he's thinking if he can defeat David, David has defeated everybody else around him pretty well, right? If you defeat David in Israel, you've got all the other ones. So that's probably what they're thinking there. You gain control over everybody. Um, and this is what it is. It's blatant stupidity. He didn't have to go to war. you know. Um, so evidently they do want to go to war with David. And it's quite another thing though to do deliberately what this king does in humiliating this delegation that came in friendly terms and they provoke a war by doing what they did. And this is the son of the king who got stabbed by the... David's cousin, right? When they sent him away in peace, and David's cousin came and shamed him. Because he killed his one brother. Yeah. So, it sounds like this son has trust issues. And the council isn't helping. Do you remember the time that you sent away your father in peace, and what did he do? He had his man. You can't trust him anymore. And he's like, you're right. Here you go. Take his sure, men and sure, King. Whatever you say. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, do you think we can win this? Of course we can. <laughs> <laughs> we can beat Israel. Yeah, <laughs> we can beat their God. So by they really get it going by doing what verse four says. Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. So they, I, it was quite, uh, I guess you could say, a noble thing, a dignified thing to have a beard for those men. But to have them half shaved off, you know, I've done that before when I had a beard and whenever I wanted to go ahead and shave it, I'd do that just as a joke, you know, right? Have you ever done that? Yeah, that's fun. You know, all sorts of things. <laughs> But this is a different thing when he takes them and does that. And then, it's like taking a, a, a hospital gown and forcing somebody to disrobe and put on this hospital gown and then start marching down the streets. You know, those hospital gowns where it's unfastened in the back and, you know, he's not going to tie it up. You know, it's, it's like he cuts it off like we're at the hips. Everybody sees what's going on there. And as they march down through there with their half beards, well, I'll tell you what, that's not going to go over with David and Israel because that is provoking something. And that's exactly what they have in mind. And like you say, this is just absolutely stupidity on the part of this king of the Ammonites. And uh, they're going to uh, have a little bit of help now from the Arameans. That'll that'll really help out. Uh-uh. 
Anyway, uh, 5, when they told it to David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow and then return. He didn't want them to be embarrassed and be a laughing stock. Let your beards grow back. Get them even and everything. And then everything will be okay. Um, Now when the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, that's what they wanted, right? The sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans of Bethrehob and the Arameans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Maka with 1,000 men, and the men of Tom with 12,000 men. Well, they're adding up now, aren't they? 20,000, 12,000, 1,000. You've got over 30,000 now. When David heard what he did, he's, he's going out hiring. What is it when you get the, uh, uh, mercenaries? That's really what he's doing there. Not all of Syria is coming there, but he's hiring these hitmen, you know, for them, and, and uh, they're going to take uh, Israel on. And so the sons of Ammon came out, drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rahab and the men of Tob and Maka were by themselves in the field. So now um, they've become odious to David. David knows what's going on. And David learns of this military buildup that they have. So he calls his army into active battle. You know, he doesn't back down from anything, and so he knows what's going on. Uh, you got Joab now. Who do you remember him? You know, he's the the captain of the army, and uh, uh, yeah. Joab saw that the battle was set against him in front and in the rear. He selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans, the Syrians. But the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother. Remember the three brothers are now down to two. So these guys, I mean, they're great warriors. So one's going to go one way and the other one's going to lead the other way. And he raided them against the sons of Ammon. He said, if the Arameans or the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I'll come to help you. That sounds like a deal. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous. I like that. Be strong and courageous. That sounds like a great advice, great wisdom. Be strong and courageous. I think, doesn't that come out of another book somewhere? For the sake of our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Arameans, the Syrians. And they fled. They ran. They get ready to do battle. There, there they are getting ready to attack and the mercenaries many, are there. It doesn't say how many soldiers Joab has. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't choice men. He gets his best, yeah. whoever they are. He's probably not, you know, he's not taking the whole army. He's just taking the best men. He's probably thinking, one of my men should be able to kill at least 100. Yeah, that's kind of must have thought that. The choice men, 300. <laughs> It'll be a lot. He must have read the same note. Yeah, he must have so too. So when the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled, they also fled. That's the guys who want to take them on, and the Syrians are leaving. Get out of here, guys. They were going to get some help from them, and that didn't work out, did it? 
Then Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. Well, whatever fight it was. So they come back to Jerusalem. Huh? Yeah, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. So the Ammonites head for their protection of their chief city of, uh, what is it, Baoth or, or Rabbah, something like that, I guess. And the Israelites return to Jerusalem. David appears willing to just let it go. Let's believe it. Those guys, they had the tail between them, you know. Who's humiliated now? Right. I don't think the Syrians ever really learned their lesson. And so here they are today in the year 2021, and they still are doing that kind of stuff. So... The Arameans really are defeated by David, and David learns that another attack is all imminent and everything, so he takes that on, doesn't he? And uh, it doesn't pay to attack God's people. Well, we've gone through like battles and battles here. Obviously, David wins. We got the last ten minutes to deal with our chapter nine, and it's interesting, isn't it? You would think. 8 and 10 would be together and then you'd have maybe chapter 9 here maybe. But it's it's all one kind of thing happening here because there's the great warrior David and we see that he he is a warrior and he wins the battles. He wins his wars and he's a great conqueror. But also, he is a man of mercy and grace. And he's a man that remembers his promise. And he's a man that knows what covenant means. And he made a covenant with who? Jonathan. And remember how many times they would go over it and over it saying, David and Jonathan coveted. And so then they would make an add-on to that covenant. Well, David made that he never forgot about it and here it is after uh, you know during a time when maybe there's it looks like there's peace here and there was uh, Avel, could you take oh those first five verses there for us yeah, it says when David said is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziphah. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Zebah? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Zebah said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Zephah said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Merch, the son of Amiel. Lo, the bar. Some names there are there. Some of those letters were silent letters. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of and son of Amiel from Lodabar. There we go. So, David is inquiring here. 
he asked around, hey, is there anybody left of Saul, any descendants? And I want to show kindness to them. Now, that really wouldn't be the thing that most kings would do from you know a king like Saul there, and uh, he would be afraid that maybe they might want to take his kingdom away, right? Well, not David at all here. But he remembers what he had promised to Jonathan, and even Saul. Um, to Jonathan, he promised to protect his life and to show loving kindness to his house forever. Okay? And to Saul, he had vowed to um, not to cut off his descendants, that, you know, he'd go out and kill them, right? Kill them all. But Saul and Jonathan are dead. David is king. And how easy it would have been to just forget about it all. And, um, you know, the commitment that he had. But that shows you the great character of David. Because he doesn't really have to do a thing. Jonathan isn't around anymore, but yes, his descendants are. But he doesn't know. He doesn't even know if there's anybody. And somebody says, well, we know of a servant of Saul. And it's like, maybe he'll know, right? Along that lines. And so he calls for this servant, and he comes there, and he, uh, he instructs him that, uh, hey, tell me, you know, is there, is there anybody? Is anybody left? And so he gets the answer. He's in the, the house of, yeah, it starts with an M. <laughs> He's the son of Amiel, right? Everybody knows Amiel in Lodibar. Where is that at? That's exactly where a lot of other people would be saying that too. And evidently, Mephibosheth is as far away as he can get. He is out there for fear that David, the king, could would kill him. Isn't that kind of ironic? Saul hunting David. David has to flee. Now, David's not even hunting this kid, but he's afraid that he might be hunted. Exactly. And whenever Zeba there, whenever he hears this, I'm sure he's scared to death. Yeah. Like, I don't kill me, king, or kill me all. <laughs> You know, you know, I used to be in Saul's, you know, uh, with him. You know. I, I may have read it you out once or twice. Uh, <laughs> I was just doing what I was happy to do as well. Well, this Lodi Bar, it's a city east of the Jordan. So it's over across the river on the other side. It goes pretty far out that way, and it's it's beyond Mahanam. If you happen to see that on a map. And it had to be close to Ammon. That's where Zeba is at, and uh, and his sons. And I guess they were emancipated there by Saul's death and the death of Saul's sons. So you have the servants of Mephibosheth. Uh, there's Zeba, and David is honoring him in what he's doing here, and the grace that is shown is is incredible. But what David does here, he treats him like a son, his own son, to come and sit at the table. We know that's where this is really heading here. But uh, 
we know Mephibosheth comes there, he falls on his face, prostrate, and like we said, Mephibosheth has got to be scared to death. David said to him, do not fear. I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. And you shall eat of my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, What's your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? David even said, like, he was a dead dog one time before. So, like, who am I? What are you trying to kill? Who, who am I? What, what am I going to do to you? <laughs> when he says that. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about it. I've been there. Yeah. And, but this time, it's the total opposite of the way that Saul had treated David. And there it is, but this is Jonathan's son, but yet, who's his grandfather? Saul. And David's over here like, you wouldn't have to play the harp for you. I'm just here all this Maybe join in the band, right? Um, then the king called Saul's servant, Zeba, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all his house, I've given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. He gives him a job, this servant here even. Not only Mephibosheth, but he's restored back to a very honorable job. Uh, who He had served you know, the king, and here it is. Uh, you know, it's uh, going to be uh, serving him and cultivating the land, and he's going to have a property to take care of and to live on. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. It always got me because he's eating at David's table. But it's going to be food. Well, it's going to be food to go ahead and feed servants and, and everybody else all around this whole area. So it's Mephibosheth's. At the same time, he's welcome to come there and eat with David and be a part of the, the palace. Mm-hmm. Right. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. That's him. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Yeah. I'm sure this happened here. How did you become lame, Mephibosheth? Well, let me tell you. It's a little baby. Yeah. Well, when you look at everything David has done here, 
I have a hard time reading this little chapter here because then Ziba takes advantage of Mephibosheth and then Mephibosheth turns on David. So, I mean, David made them rich. Gave yeah. them took care of them, gave them everything they needed well, to live on the rest of their lives. Not just, not just gave them what they needed, but they're rich here. They have land and stuff. They're taken care of, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that Ziba, is. Ziba was wealthy, even though he was Mephibosheth's servant. Him and his family. I mean, that was a pretty wealthy servant. Yeah. I'm telling you. It. Well, I'll tell you what. This it, it, this is David. The only thing is, we have chapter eleven, and you see the ups and downs of David. And chapter eleven is another thing. And haven't we seen that all the way through with David? And this, I mean, this is super. This story, everybody loves the story of of the mercy that he extended and the loving kindness that he had for people he really didn't have to do. But it shows how big and important a covenant was was with for him, and that's why he's represented by God's covenant, also of the Davidic covenant, because he took it seriously, and he took God seriously, and he took the covenant seriously, and what he said and promised to not only Jonathan but even Saul of not destroying those descendants, and not only did he not destroy them, he took care of them in a big way. And like you say, what's the rest of the story? And you, and we know. But we know what chapter 11 is going to be about too. And that's what he is really known for also. And so God does not refrain from telling everything. And mankind, if he was writing this, would not be putting in chapter 11 and such in that way. Or probably would have maybe made it look better, right? Would have blamed Bathsheba. Bathsheba's husband died in war and David saw her after. Yeah, little omission there. That's what we did, eight, nine, and ten, because you've got two chapters there. That's wars, it's battles, it, it you know, they, and they move quickly. Altogether, really nicely when you did it, like yeah. well, quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It was like wars, wars, and then you know, side note, David took care of this other. Right in the middle of it all. Now, I don't know how chronologically that worked, but this is stretched out over the course of quite time. And this Mephibosheth deal is like, okay, when did this happen? Well, he's grown up. He has a son. But he... Um, Do we ever hear any more of his son? Do we hear more about his son? Mephibosheth's son? Yeah. Mike. Micah, I don't well, think. M-I-C-H-A. The other Micahs that you found are M-I-C-H-A-H. Yeah. So it's like, at first I thought, oh, that's... But it's not. It's not the same. It's different, yeah. So, yeah, quite a lot to say. I don't know, I see some of these mighty men look like. 
<laughs> Taking on 100, 200 people, I'm like, that's a scary looking dude. <laughs> and we have boys here wearing makeup. <laughs> I'm like, it's kind of the opposite there. <laughs> Different world. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time that we have together just to kind of fellowship and uh, look into your word and get further insight to how you work through uh, a man who you've called. And uh, he does your will. And at the same time, we know that he is human and sometimes becomes disobedient. But we get to see a man here that you're going to work through no matter what. And you brought about victory through him. And you made a name that was great. And what a king he was. And it gives us something to look forward to in the return of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.